welcome. You are listening to the Willamette Investors Network Multifamily Show. We are a nationwide network of investors, syndicators, and industry professionals that invest in real estate together. We believe that investing is a team sport, and our goal is to connect you with the people, experiences, and education that will help you along your journey to multifamily success. Welcome to the Win Multifamily Show. My name is Daniel Homland. Today, our guest is Matt Pacheni. Matt is the managing partner of MJP Property Group. He's invested in over 5,000 apartment units and is primarily focused on acquiring and repositioning multifamily communities. Matt has over 15 years of experience in property analysis, financing, acquisition, construction, and operations. He's a licensed real estate agent and a Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac approved buyer and a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council. Matt has earned both a commercial real estate and real estate finance certificate from Boston University. And he's currently in the middle of writing a book about his experiences. Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So a lot of people that get very actively in, involved in real estate realize that they need to grow their network. They need a way of reaching out, meeting people, becoming a leader in their uh, real estate acquisitions. And you've decided to do exactly that through a book. And so why don't you take a moment, introduce yourselves, and then let's hear a little bit about how you're putting your journey into, uh, into paper form. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. You know, I think that um, I've been doing a number of different things to sort of uh, go out there, uh, put myself out there and get to know more people and expand my network. And so I've done that in a number of different ways through joining uh, many groups through doing, um, you know, I've, I've joined a couple of different mentorship groups and masterminds. Here in Boston, I actually run a meetup that's very successful, that's focused on multifamily. I'm very active on LinkedIn and, and, and Facebook as well, but I'm starting to transition more and more into LinkedIn. I'm a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council, so I'm writing articles that are appearing on Forbes and just sort of getting some thought leadership pieces out there. And as you've mentioned, I'm working on writing a book right now, um, slated to be done with the book, um, with the, you know, the initial drafts of the book by the end of the year, 2020. And I think we're going to launch it sometime in 2021, probably spring or maybe even summer, depending on exactly how the publishing process is going to work and the marketing process is going to work as well. Um, so that's, that's sort of, I'm not in any rush to put it out there, but it'll be done being written very shortly. Uh, and what the book is, is it's telling about my journey, which is kind of, not kind of, it is actually really unique. Um, my background is actually, I started off in theater. So I was a musical theater performer. I had moved to New York City to pursue a career in theater. I actually went to a musical theater conservatory. I graduated from that program. Three days after graduation, I was off on tour, singing and dancing and acting across the United States, which I did very successfully for five years. Over those five years, I was in 15 professional productions. It was fantastic. Um, I then got interested in website development and design and sort of made a gradual segue into that. Uh, I ended up doing, I was initially doing that on a freelance basis, instead of waiting tables in between acting gigs, I was, I was doing this. And then it became, it was 
you know, we're talking like 1997. So in the heyday of the dot-com era, and um, what was happening was I was getting so much work that I ended up creating my own boutique web development agency, ran that for about five years. And then um, after the dot-com bubble burst, and then I was in New York and we had 9-11 come and uh, I, I took a, an in-house position at that point at Showtime, the cable channel, they were a client of mine. And uh, from there, I went on to have a career in uh, the corporate America, um, I started after a few years of Showtime, uh, I, I started working in the advertising agency land. And so did that for, for many years. Um, and, and then fast forward to uh, about a little over five years ago where I had an opportunity. Well, my wife got approached with an opportunity actually in Miami. It was completely out of the blue, um, but it was a win fantastic opportunity for her. And when we decided to move to Miami is when I transitioned from doing uh, the advertising digital marketing thing full time to doing real estate full time. So for the past 10 years that I was doing the digital marketing full time, I was doing real estate part time as a hobby or as, as the kids are saying nowadays as a side hustle, right? It was a little thing that I was doing and, and something I enjoyed doing. It was a lot of fun for me. And so with the transition to Miami, I, um, you know, thought about uh, how am I going to, uh, you know, wh what am I going to do now? Do I want to continue that life, uh, the ad, ad agency world, or do I want to move into real estate, which is something I was more passionate about. I was burned out of doing the corporate America thing. I had been working really long hours. I had gotten married somewhat recently. We had a child. She was about little over a year old when we made this transition to Miami. And so it was really also a bit of a lifestyle change. Now, since then, since the time that we moved to Miami, my wife got approached again out of the blue with another significant job opportunity um, that led us to Boston, which is where I live now. So we've been in Boston, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston for three over three years now. Um, the great thing about my work is I could do it from anywhere as long as there's an airport. And I honestly have to say, Logan Airport is fantastic. It's a great, it's a short commute from our house and it's a, they have, every, everybody flies out of there and it's, it's a fantastic airport. But um, so my book that I'm writing, um, I just gave you the first uh, four to five chapters of it in, in a little <laughs> brief segment, but there's some really interesting, unique stories and lessons that are in there. So what I've done in the book is go through all these different sections of my life and it continues on past there as well. Right. But it goes through all these different sections of how I started getting involved with real estate from my first purchase of a primary residence to my first real estate investment and all the lessons that I learned along the way. And I'll tell you, there was quite a lot of them, um, you know, over 10 years doing it part-time uh, you'll learn a lot. I, so, I imagine so. It, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're the type of person that I just want to sit down and have a drink with and talk for, to for a couple of hours. And, and we share quite a few things in common. I was also a web developer. I worked in Mountain View during the 2000.com oh, bubble. And, okay. um, and, you know, went on from there. I used my web uh, development skills as a side hustle and also did real estate as well. Um, oh, wow. or as a job and did real estate as a side hustle. And uh, so I've, I've also kind of evolved along similar lines. I used to be in a choir. 
not professional, but uh, it was fun. That's still cool, yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but it sounds like you, you did this very consistently throughout your life and that you've had, you're a member of a number of organizations and councils and things that have helped you build yourself as a real estate investor over a fairly you know, significant amount of time. Um, and, and I want to I tie this into your book as much as possible, but tell me over that time, what do you think have been some of the most influential things you have done that have influenced your real estate development? Uh, has it been the groups that you've joined, the, the councils, you know, the Forbes council that you're writing for? Where have been your, your leaps, your, your punctuated equilibrium, your explosive growth? Wow. Um, you know, that's a hard question to answer, Daniel, because I mm -hmm. feel like everything that I've done um, has built one thing upon another. So it's hard to say. I think, you know, in the earlier days, getting involved in deals was important to me. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons that way, you know, the school of hard knocks. Um, I also um, joined um, a mentorship group, uh, you know, that was run by one of these gurus, which was beneficial, right? I mean, there was great things that I got out of it. Um, there's also down, uh, you know, th things that aren't great about those things as well, right? I mean, I don't think anything in life is, is always perfect, but overall, I was very happy with what I did and what I got out of it. And what I continue, I, I still am very much involved in those types of things. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, investments, passively investing in the multifamily world, I learned a lot from that. I've invested in a number of deals. Um, with a number of different syndicators and operators. So I've learned a lot from that, from seeing the way that different operators run their business, seeing challenges that they've run into and learning from those challenges, and also seeing how they communicate with their investors and saying, hey, I like the way you know person A communicates with me. I like their reports, it's clear, I know what's going on. But you know, person B over here, not so much. So I'm going to try to emulate more person A than person B. I mean, you mentioned earlier on in the episode during the introduction, uh, you know, that I have this, this very large number of units, right? Over 5,000 units that I've invested in. But, you know, to be clear, 75% of those are deals that I'm a passive investor in. Um, now, 25% are deals that I own outright or that I'm the syndicator on you know, uh, general partner on the deals and, and run those deals and I'm involved in the asset management and all of that. And I have a number of more deals actually under contract. I have some, there's a bunch of things going on right now, which is, which is fantastic. Um, also selling some properties, which is also really good because our investors are very happy. They're making some money. So, you know, all in all things are going really well. So I think that ratio of active to passive may start to go a little bit more on the active side, but still I like investing passively. Uh, I cannot be an expert in every location. Um, and so working with experts in specific locations, specific cities and towns and submarkets is a, is a great thing. So what, first of all, I agree with you. I, I, I kind of don't like the doors number that so many investors, you know, say to each other because it's not really reflective of, you know, your equity percentage in those doors. You know, you, yes. you might be a 75% partner. You might be a 1% partner in, you know, however many doors you're quoting. 
Uh, and sure. so it's, 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 it's always impressive to use those numbers, but they, it doesn't really communicate a lot of information necessarily. Um, and so I, I agree with you there, but it does show that you have a lot of experience in evaluating deals. Um, and so what, what are some of the things that you look for? You mentioned communication as a key point. What are some of the key ways that you like syndicators to communicate? Oh, I think just transparent communication is is the most important. You know, I communicate with my investors at least on the first couple of years on a deal on a monthly basis. You know, I send out monthly reports. I think that after a couple of years, once you get into it, especially even in year two, sometimes you're really grasping at straws with like new information to give someone. I mean, you're showing in the financials, which is important, but if the financials are where you had projected and you're done with most of the CapEx, right? So all the deals that I do are value add deals, right? So that first year, especially, there are a lot of new things going on. You know, we just redid the parking lots or, you know, we just redid all the concrete or we fixed all the balconies or, whatever those things are that you're doing from an exterior perspective can be very impactful. And then of course you're upgrading uh, the units too as well. Um, and so that information is, is fun and exciting, but after a while you can, you can go down to quarterly reports, but I like monthly reports at least at the beginning. And I like uh, people who are transparent with me. You know, I, I have to say that, you know, we recently were in a deal and we had to uh, change our property management company, which, uh, which was not fun. It's not a great experience if anyone ever has to deal with that. Luckily, I've been through it a few times as a passive, so I understood what was gonna happen and, and how it would really sort of mess up the reporting. So I, I, was, I hope that I was good in communicating with my investors that like, hey, there's not going to be a lot of information for the next couple of months because while the transition is going on and you're waiting to get these books and that books and usually transition halfway through a month, you never really want to transition at the beginning of a month because that's when the rent is due. So you can, it can cause problems. So you usually want to try to transition mid month. So it just makes everything kind of wonky. And then when you're working with a new property manager, um, to get the financials set up in the format that you want, that you're accustomed to. It's just sometimes it takes a couple of months. So, um, you know, I, I'm actually really pleased because today, actually, I was doing it just before the interview and I'll be sending it out uh, after the interview. Um, we just were back into a regular reporting rhythm with with, with that property, which is great. Um, so I, that's one of the things I like to see. And I like to see that transparency. You know, we, we had some problems with the property and I was very transparent with the, with the investors as to what was going on. We ended up with a property that was filled and this can happen. This has happened in deals I've invested in. It was just filled with a lot of people that um, were not really qualified to be there. A lot of times when someone's looking to sell a property, they may tenant it up just so that they get the occupancy up. But the tenants aren't really qualified. They're not making the, 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 the salary or they don't have the credit scores or both to be in, the unit, in those units. And what happens is it, it just makes the first six, six to nine months rough because you're going in there and you're finding that out. And if you acquire a property right before COVID like we did, and so you're doing this clean out and you've also got 
COVID going on, it makes things very challenging. Luckily, I underwrote, I underwrite everything really, I don't get a lot of deals because I'm so conservative with the underwriting, which is fine for me. So we were okay and we were able to tread water and we're doing fine and we're back on the upswing, but that can happen, you know, to, to the best. We, we knew it was, we knew there was going to be problems because in our due diligence, when we did the file audit and the lease audits, we started to find all these discrepancies. So we kind of, we knew that we were going to be getting into a rough thing. We had no idea that we were going to get hit by COVID which was just kind of a double whammy on top of it. But things are good now. Yeah, no, nobody, nobody saw COVID coming, uh, at least <laughs> not, <laughs> not, uh, not last year, they didn't anyway. Um, right, which is when we acquired the property was towards the end of last year. Right. So, yeah. I, I, I was actually in the middle of, uh, we just signed on a, a purchase and sales the week before, the first week of, of March this year. And oh, wow. uh, that was that was an interesting um, thing. In in our particular case, we ended up not being able to to go through with the deal uh, because the lender changed the terms that they that our operating assumptions were on, and suddenly we run oh, wow. we ran the new terms through our underwriting spreadsheet, and we couldn't make our minimum investor requirements. Uh, so we want to see a certain percentage return that before we offer to our investors. And sure. so it was an interesting experience to have a deal fall apart. And uh, yes, we lost our, our earnest money and that was fine. The we seller, we've acquired another property since and we're doing the fine. seller wasn't willing to uh, sort of retrade with you to get something to where it needed to be. And no, no, they weren't. They, uh, they, they oh. knew they had our earnest money for one thing. And um, they uh, wanted the, the price. So uh, that's where it stood. And, you know, we told them that they were going to have to renegotiate with anybody that they were going to talk to in the future because lending terms have changed across the board. But, um, you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about um, your real estate club and, and also about being on the Forbes Real Estate Council. Sure. So, um the so I have an investors club for 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 qualified investors, um, but uh, we have the meetup right. So the meetup here in Boston. So what happened was the genesis of this whole thing was I was in Miami, and I was trying to meet other people who are doing multifamily investing, and I went to real estate, you know, these RIAs, these real estate investing association, they went thing, thing after another, after another, after another, and every meetup thing, like everything I could think of. And all I met was people who were wholesaling and a few people who were yeah. flipping. And I couldn't find anyone who was doing the multifamily thing. Uh, but through my one-on-one -on -one sort of networking, I was able to slowly start meeting people in, um, you know, South Florida who were doing those things. And so I started a meetup down there and it was great. It was really awesome. We were getting some really good traction. Uh, we were getting like, you know, 50 to 60 people at each one. I was feeling really good about it on an upward trajectory. And then we moved. <laughs> so we moved here. And within, I think the first week I was here in Boston, I went on to meetup. And I saw that there was a multifamily one already happening. And I was like, Yes, I don't have to create my own one because it's kind of a pain <laughs> in the butt. So I go to it. Now, this one had just started up. They had just been had like maybe two or three before I started going. 
and they would get like 20 or 30 people to go. And I met the guy who started it. He was very nice. And a couple of months after I was here, he's like, hey, I'm moving back to Texas. Um, but like you are a multifamily guy who's like actually doing it. Like, do you want to take over? And I said, sure. And there was somebody who was helping him with it, who is um, a realtor and, and she's awesome. Um, not really in the like the larger multifamily space, but she had just bought a triple decker and she's been expanding her career and she helps people. And so for me, it was like, hey, I could come up and sort of take over this thing that had kind of already gotten started. I had a partner and she was doing a lot of sort of the legwork uh, on, on, you know, a lot of the outreach. She's a really great networker. So I, for me, it was really about, okay, how do I create content for this thing and get really top-notch speakers involved? And also I found a better venue. And so now we consistently get over a hundred people. And sometimes depending on who's speaking, we'll get Very two nice. people at the event. Like last time I talked, we had 220 people, which was insane. So um, very, very excited about that. Now, since COVID has, has started, we've gone to doing it onto a Zoom and now we're, we usually have a little under 100 people each time. I think people really like the social aspect. We've got a really good group of, a really great real estate community here in the greater Boston area. And I think this event has kind of become known as a really great social event for people who are serious about doing the sort of the multifamily thing. Um, so what's the name of your group? Oh, it's a mouthful. It's <laughs> called the multifamily investors network of Massachusetts. We're on uh, meetup.com. We're on facebook.com. Um, but uh, yeah, multifamily investors, multifamily investors network of Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. Are, are you affiliated <laughs> with any larger groups or is it, is it no. all in Boston? Okay. Nope. It's all here in Boston only. I know that there's a bunch of people and gurus that have done these ones that kind of have different affiliates all over the country. Um, but I, you know, the ones that are led by the gurus and the gurus are awesome. I have, you know, uh, someone that I mentor with, I'm not knocking that, but it's just, it seems as though a lot of those things have sort of that ulterior motive of like, Oh, and now join our program. And the impetus that, you know, the, the, a big, big part of my meetups in Miami and here in Massachusetts, are, we, you, nobody sells anything. And I think that's another reason why we get a lot of really good people. It's about networking. It's about providing some educational content. We're not trying to put the educators out of business. Um, you know, I, I'm a big promoter. I, I, I took a whole course of studies at Boston University. I'm in these other groups. Like, I, I think you should pay for your education. I'm, I'm 100% for that. But I do think for these meetups, it's about meeting people and providing value. We provide a lot of value to people who spend their Wednesday night coming to our event. Um, and I think that's they great. enjoy it. And I think that's why we get so many people. That's great. That's good to hear. Um, and, and going to those meetings and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of new investors do ask me, how do I get started? And you just, you just gave the answer right there. It's you need to find a way to add value to other people. You, you need to find something that you can do that's worth somebody partnering with you with. Uh, uh, with. And uh, it, it, so I, I, my mind is kind of stuck on the Forbes Real Estate Council. I want to ask you about that. What, what is the story there? Yeah, well, it's an invitation-only community uh, for people in the real estate business. They have certain criteria that you have to meet. Uh, and you, there's an interview and blah, 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 blah. 
But um, if you get into the council, what it allows for you to do is, is there's a member only forum. And so you can connect and network and meet with other people. Um, and then you can also, if you choose to write, uh, you know, po you know, I've, I've written two articles. Well, I have one article that's published. I have another one that I'm in the middle of. It's almost done. Uh, I am on some, ex I, actually today I got an email guess what, you're in Forbes in the expert panel. There was an expert panel asking people about um, retaining tenants and things of that nature. And so, uh, you know, I answered some questions and I got quoted in there. So that's kind of cool. So, um, but it, it's, it's really just a way to continue to expand that sort of professional network um, and also provide some thought leadership pieces. Okay. What are some of the other ways, and you, Definitely feel free to refer to your book also, but other ways sure. that you have been able to grow your real estate uh, investor development. Grow in terms of a of being a real estate investor. Well, I think... Is that the, uh, I'm, I'm digging for gold here. The, well, yeah, I mean, through all the deals that I've done, I think one thing is built upon another. You know, when you, when you look at where I started, you know, with a primary residence and then went into buying a single family vacation home that turned into a rental. And then I started doing some fix and flips and more single family buy and hold. And then I started doing multifamily. And it's like each experience, I think, builds upon another. Right. And I also I think that multifamily is really a team sport. I've never done a deal on my own. Yep. Now I've done a number of deals, certain ones I found the deal. I've had that broker relationship and certain deals, partners of mine have found the deal and had their broker relationship. Now we work together in tandem on those projects. We're both, you know, or sometimes there's more than two of us. We'll work together on the asset management. We're working together as a team through the acquisition, you know, through the entire process, but I've always worked um, with other people on those. So expanding my professional network and getting to meet other people. There's some people that I, I like to say, I like almost everybody and almost everybody likes me. There's probably some people who don't like me. I don't know, but, but I, there are certain people that I've met that I just click with a little bit more than others. There's just some synergy there. There's some skill sets that maybe I have that they don't have and we complement each other. And so that's allowed me to, at times, um, work on deals with new partners. Like I have a new deal right now that I'm doing with a partner that I've known. He's invested in my deals. I've invested in his deals, but we've never partnered together on a deal before as both general partners. And so we're doing that now, which is really exciting and very fun. Um, and so, um, you know, that's, that's an, another way that I've been able to sort of broaden, uh, I guess, my horizons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I know that there are a lot of passive investors that listen to this show also, and you have a huge amount of experience there. What, what advice can you give to people for evaluating passive investments? Uh, and maybe, maybe I could break that down into, well, I'll, I'll let you break it down, actually. What advice could you give? I'd be curious to hear how you break it down, Daniel. But the first piece of advice I would tell people is get get a copy of my book because that's really one of the that's kind of the primary focus and target of the book through telling my story. See, what I did was I wrote this book um, over the summer, and it was about eighty to one hundred pages, and it was uh, dry as dirt. <laughs> 
but it was all the mechanics of what you need to look for in a deal. And uh, I realized that it was going to put people to sleep. So uh, that's why I'm going back through and rewriting the book in a way that is entertaining through telling stories and telling that narrative. You're still getting that same information, but in a much more palatable way um, and an entertaining and hopefully fun to read way. Um, and, and it's all about the details on what you need to look for in a deal. If I had to sum it up really quickly for the purposes of this podcast, uh, I would sum it up into there's sort of three things that you're going to look at. You're going to look at who is the sponsor. And I think this is an order of importance actually too. Who's the sponsor? Who's running that deal? That's number one. Number two, the location, right? That market and that particular sub-market of the deal where the deal is, sorry, located. And then number three, the deal itself. I mean, all if you don't, if all three of those aren't strong, you know, it's like a, a tripod, right? Or a three-legged stool. If one of those legs is broken, the deal's not going to do very well. Um, but, you know, I think a, uh, I go through examples in my book, how a really strong operator can actually make a not so good deal perform okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and how a really bad operator can take a good deal and sink it into the ground. So that's really important. Um, and so is, you know, the market and the deal. Okay. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you there on those uh, that I, I often tell people that the, you know, you have to do your due diligence and it's gotta be on those three areas that you just mentioned, um, before, you know, before you even consider investing in a deal, you really should know the track record of the person you're working with. Um, okay. So what other nuggets from your book, uh, would you like to share? Well, I mean, that's, I, I feel like I just gave you everything in the, All right. wrapped up in a pretty little bow. I mean, uh, you know, I, there, there's an interesting chapter at the end where I talk about a cool thing that I did that's not really syndicated, syndication related, where I did a 1031 exchange. I actually sold some air rights. And so I go into the book about what air rights are and how those work. And then how I did a 1031 exchange into buying a small multifamily property on my own and then it cash out refinance and pull that money out tax-free to then invest in multifamily syndications. Um, So that's a, it's an interesting chapter that I think, you know, the more seasoned real estate professional may find that that chapter is really enlightening um, where most of the rest of the book is uh, entertaining, I think for everyone to read, but I don't know, like Daniel, I don't know how much value you're going to get in chapters one through six or seven, but maybe the last chapter or two, you might get a couple of some fun nuggets. Well, it, was- selling air rights sounds like something interesting to me. I, I would pick it up and, and read that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, are you ready for a lightning round? I'm ready. Let's do it. What is the best part about being a real estate investor? Uh, being able to create my own schedule. You know, your- I, can do a, I can do a thing called time shift that I call time shifting. I can work at night or work during the day or work on the beach or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Who's your ideal partner or client? Um, somebody who really cares about the work that, that we're doing. It's something that's important to me that I talked about. I talk about in the book and in articles that I've written. Um, I'm sort of like a, I, I look at 
investment a little bit as activism. So for me, it's about really improving the lives of the tenants. I've seen people who go in and make a lot of money um, by cutting back on expenses, which is, I mean, that's a way to do business and it's a way to make money. But for me, I'd rather improve lives and also make money. Um, every deal I do, there's obviously that profit motive. Um, it's not a charity, um, but I think that you can be very successful and make a lot of money while also giving back. I could agree with you more there. All right, question number three, what's a mistake that you have made or that somebody else has made and what did you learn from it? Oh, well, so, you know, mistakes, the biggest mistakes I think come in, in the due diligence sort of period. Um, you know, for me, back when I was flipping houses, I made a couple of mistakes because we weren't allowed to do any inspections or due diligence. So we had to make assumptions, which is why I never do that anymore. Um, but I've also invested in deals where I've had syndicators who have, um, you know, misjudged the market. Actually, one of the one of the chapters in the book is specifically about that the first deal I ever invested in, the syndicators who were awesome people. And because the syndicator worked so hard, he actually dug us out of the hole. But they made a big miscalculation, I think, on the market at the beginning, which set us up to for failure. Do you mind if I ask what the miscalculation was? You don't have to use any names or anything specific, but what was the mistake? Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, I think they underestimated, they overestimated the market. They overestimated the submarket that they were in. Um, and then they went ahead and over-improved. Mm. So they were putting granite countertops in and spending a lot of money on these unit renovations where, you know, a year later they were doing them for like a third of the price and still commanding the same amount of rent. Um, so there was a gross miscalculation when it came to that market and what the wants and desires were. Okay. Yeah. Can you recommend a book beside your own, uh, a <laughs> website, a resource that will help us in our investor journey? Yeah. You know, there's a book that I really like called the one thing by Gary Keller, you know, it's a good book. Uh, it's a good book, uh, about sort of focusing and uh you know not everyone can multitask on everything all the time so really starting to focus in on on what's needed so you know it's gary keller from like keller williams realty is a pretty successful guy it's a pretty successful book i think it was a new york times bestseller and if you haven't read it you might want to check that one out yeah i was just thinking ironically i think i only made it about halfway through and then i started reading a second book <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good book <laughs> Um, and then lastly, how can the Win Multifamily listeners get in touch with you? Sure. Well, I'd love to talk with you, especially um, with the book coming out. I'm going to be giving out free copies when it comes out, but also some people doing some, some reading of it ahead of time, checking out a chapter or two. So I'd love to connect with anybody, whether you've got zero doors or a million doors. And the best way to do that is to visit my website, mjppg.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can send me an email from there. You can also email me directly. My email is matt, M-A-T-T, at mjppg.com. I'm going to be giving out free books. So let's get in touch so you can, you know, get an opportunity to, to get a free one. All right, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us how you grew your investor career over the last you know, 20, 25 years or so. And, uh, you know, took what was a side hustle and turned it into something that is really providing income for you now. So thank you for hosting meetups and for writing books and for educating people that are in this, in this uh, particular market. So I, I uh, thank you for coming on the show and I hope you have a winning day. Thanks, Daniel. You too. Hello, Win Multifamily listeners. As you know, 
This podcast is all about learning to work in teams so that you can buy cash flowing multifamily properties. If you'd like to learn more about that, please click subscribe. If you're interested in the type of investments that we do at Alon Capital, please go to alancapital.com slash investors. That's Alon, A-A-L-O-N, capital.com. We'd like to set up a one-on-one phone call with you to talk about your real estate investment goals. 